Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey on Bulletproof Radio. And today's cool fact of the day is about the shrew. The shrew has the highest metabolic rate of any animal. The mast shrew's heart beats 800 times per minute. And shrews have to eat about 90% of their own body weight each day. And they can starve to death if they're deprived of food for even half a day. And now I'm pretty sure that this might apply to your mother-in-law too, but you'd have to check. Uh, anyway, sorry, uh, mom-in-law, just kidding here. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today, we're going to talk about how diets can actually mess up your metabolism and make you fat. Certainly, that's something that I learned on my path to weighing 300 pounds. <laughs> we're going to talk about new laws of metabolism and how you can become a diet detective. And we're going to do this with a guy who's worked out about oh, 10,000 times and has really worked through tons and tons of weight loss research guy's an author of The Metabolic Effect Diet and actually contributor to the textbook of natural medicine. I'm talking about Dr. Jade 
Teta. Jed, tell me I said your last name right because I've only read your work. I've never actually said your last name in life. So tell me, how did I, how did I do? You got it the way 90% of the people pronounce it. We actually pronounce it Tita, but Teta, I think, is the, the best way to pronounce it for the real Italian enunciation. I don't know why no. we have Tita pronunciation. I'm glad you're Italian because if you were from Mexico, we would be talking about an entirely different part of anatomy. And I was like, do I... Do I say you this? Tell me why they change. Yeah, please do, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's why probably my family changed it to Tita instead of Teta. So Tita. All right. Well, uh, uh, sorry for all of uh, all of my uh, my listeners in Mexico right now. I didn't mean to make this uh, uh, a non proper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they love me, man. They love, they're like, Dr. Tata, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a fair point. Now, the other thing that, that actually had me want to get you on here, you're not just like a doctor. You have a degree in biochemistry, and you studied naturopathic medicine, not, um, you know, not the hardcore sort of nutrients and herbs don't matter kind of perspective that, that some people can get from a more Western-focused program. You also are a former vegetarian, and you trashed your thyroid by actually freebasing soy protein. Is that true? <laughs> that is actually true. That's uh, at least what I think happened. So I have, a, I have a funny story about that. I actually, you guys, the listeners probably know a place called Jumbo Juice, right? <laughs> Jamba Juice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I call it Jumbo Juice, and my brother actually turned me on to that name because I was drinking soy shakes for about three months straight. And he said to me, my brother has sort of this sarcastic wry sense of humor. He goes, hey, Jade. Where are you going, jumbo juice? And it dawned on me when he said when he said that I was like, wait a second. I had put on about th- uh, thirty pounds in about three months, and I was doing these soy shakes daily. Of course, I was working out. You know, I work out with weights, and you know. But I, yeah. at the time, I was at, at medical school and went down to the lab and said, let me run some labs. And my thyroid uh, level, my TSH, for those who know, was eleven. Normal really is optimal is around two, and so mine was sky high. And uh, I think it had to do with all the soy protein I was doing. So I went through a lot with my own metabolism. My, and my metabolism has really never been the same since, actually. But I've, been, I've dealt with it and since moved away from that way of life. How long were you a vegetarian? Off and on, probably for about three years. So in uh, the longest stint, about uh, 18 months. I, I know that my time as a raw vegan, I, I developed a bunch of autoimmunity I didn't have. I was eating just massive amounts of, of raw cruciferous vegetables. I knew enough to stay away from soy, but man, I, I also had uh, Hashimoto's, thyroiditis. I don't have any antibodies anymore, and I'm still on a small dose of thyroid medication, much smaller than I used to take, but I'm not entirely off of it uh, because... You know, sometimes those diets don't actually work, especially if you're over, say, 30. You, you can get away with a lot when you're young, right? Yeah, so our story, yours and my story is very similar. You know, so I still take a small dose of thyroid medication. There's time, periods of time where I do really well, where I can come off completely, um, but I still take a small dose. Of, you know, and I, I, same thing, as I've aged, I find that I can't be off of it for too long, especially when I'm really pushing hard in the gym. I just need that little extra kick. How old are you? I'm 40. All right. So, haha, I'm older. I'm 41. So, so we're, we're roughly metabolically at about the same stage of life. Uh, although it looks like I might still have a little bit more hair than you, but hey. Yeah, yeah. I lost <laughs> mine. I don't know, man. My metabolism wasn't working too well in that regard. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's kind of funny how having a, a bad experience uh, can, really, can really teach you something. I also did uh, an experiment. Oh, this is going back a, a couple of years now, or maybe closer to three years. And I, I wanted to 
kind of test out that Eskimo diet thing. So I went down to one serving of green vegetables a day and just masses of fat and some protein. And after three months, I had to quit because I was getting these super dry eyes and my sleep quality went to hell and, and I was really not doing very well. And I ended up, when I reintroduced my favorite foods, I got to be allergic to a bunch of them because I literally didn't have enough ability to form mucus on the lining of my stomach to protect my stomach lining. So I got leaky gut from a lack of even just basic vegetable kind of things. And so it, it's, I had lots of problems before that, you know, some autoimmunity and arthritis at age 14, whatever. But uh, when I look back at, at some of the experiments, they don't always go well like that. And the important thing when people are trying a new diet at least in my experience, is like, get the data. Like, you think you were doing well. You felt great on that first month. But what did your biomarkers do? Because they're going to tell you probably before you feel it, depending on how broken you are. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Dave. Here, the, you bring up a really good point. And actually, we, we just went the whole continuum, didn't we? We talked about the vegetarian approach. And I've seen, I did not do well on the vegetarian approach, but I've seen very healthy vegetarians. Biomarkers, all good. You know, energy and cravings gone, energy up, cravings down, hunger down, doing fantastic. And I've seen paleo dieters and those following extreme ketogenic diets do yeah. very well. And I've mm -hmm. seen others do very, very poorly. And so what has happened in my both with myself, sounds like you went through a similar situation and my clinical experience is I've moved away from these extremes, these teams in nutrition. You know, we set up these camps. I'm vegan. Everyone should be vegan. I'm vegetarian. Everyone should be vegetarian. I'm raw. Everyone should be raw. I'm paleo. Everyone should be paleo. And what I've found is that actually is not the case. It's really about you discovering and learning your own metabolism. You almost have to be like the Sherlock Holmes of your metabolism. And what we're not doing is teaching people how to do that. It's kind of funny you say Sherlock Holmes. A big part of the Bulletproof Diet book that's coming out December 2nd, bulletproofdietbook.com, get a lot of free bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, please check it out, <laughs> is an app, a free app on the iPhone called Food Detective. And I list on the, the Bulletproof Diet Roadmap, which, which you get this roadmap for free when you download, you know, when you basically go to the website, we'll just email it to you. But it's a one-page infographic, and it's got a strip of suspect foods. Like, we don't know if they're good for you, bad for you. They're probably not that good for you, but maybe for you, they're fine. But the app can actually help you detect whether you have an unusual response to them, like basically whether you have a food sensitivity using your heart rate. But that's the basic idea there behind, you know, being your own detective. Um, but there is a kind of diet that, that I find works for, for a lot of people. It's lacto, ovo, beefo, porco, vegetarian. And, and, and when you get all that just right, you, you've nailed it. <laughs> I agree. I agree 100%. <laughs> I'm so excited, by the way, to hear that you're doing that because I really feel like that is sort of the anti-diet diet, you know, where we're basically teaching people, understand your body, learn to work with well, your own body. Don't be on a nutrition team. Be on your team. Yeah. Well, that's why it's... A it's a roadmap. Like there's neighborhoods, right? Like, like where are you going to be on this roadmap? But you, know, you, you might be in a sketchy neighborhood, but like you're somewhere no matter what you put in your body, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, for guys like you and me, it sounds like you went through the whole thing. When, when you're so biased and attached to a particular way of doing things, you oftentimes are the last one to figure out how bad you feel and how bad your metabolism is doing. So if you can put your bias at the door, set it aside and just basically say, listen, let me try this. Let me see how my hunger is, my energy is, my cravings are on this, this particular program. Let me see if I'm dropping fat on this particular program. Let me see what my biomarkers are doing. Then you can begin to understand how to 
um, build a lifestyle for you rather than following these predefined rules. I think that's that's really I think there's one actually rule, the only rule in nutrition, and that is do what works for you. But you have to understand how to do that. You have to understand how to play detective. Yeah. It, it's it's awesome, and and your perspective on you know it's not the same for everyone is is one of the reasons I was like I got to have this guy on, and uh, that plus you know JJ Virgin, our, our mutual friend, is like Dave, got to talk with Jay. And I'm like, all right, if JJ says it, it it's got to have some merit though. So love you, JJ. Yes, I love you too, JJ. <laughs> now the other thing that's cool is like you actually named what you do the metabolic effect. So what is your take on the metabolic effect? Like, how does it make people better? I just kind of give me, give me the download of the audience who's listening mostly in their cars now, like the, the kind of bullet points for what it is. Well, the key is the acronym tells you everything, right? Metabolic effect is M-E, meaning me, meaning that it is all about you, the individual, finding what works for you. So each person has a different optimal metabolic effect or metabolic response to their diet, to their exercise, to their lifestyle. So this idea in my mind, and really this was a hard one sort of understanding that we have to have you know, uh, exercise a particular way and you can't, you can't do cardio because that's gonna make your metabolism explode and you have to only do metabolic conditioning and if you don't lift weights, this and that, and you gotta eat only this way, all of that does is just make you run around with a chicken with your head cut off. So metabolic effect is really that acronym ME tells you we're helping you find the diet, exercise, lifestyle inputs that optimize your metabolism. So there's a lot of work, as you know, Dave. I mean, there's a lot of work involved in that. But the good news is when you learn the process, how the metabolism works sort of globally for humans and then individually for you, you have that process that works forever so that when you go through menopause or andropause if you're a man or you get pregnant and go through pregnancy or even women with their menstrual cycle they start to learn to decipher what is going on with their metabolism because the metabolism is not static the other thing about the metabolism that everybody misses is it does not work like a calculator it works more like a seesaw it is adaptive and reactive to everything you do do you know how many people complain about Bulletproof Coffee? They say it could have up to 500 calories if you put four tablespoons of fat in there. Oh, my God, calories make And some of these guys are like bodybuilder. Like, actually, some of them are bodybuilders selling low-fat supplements. Uh, in fact, <laughs> one of the biggest critics out there is exactly that. I'm like, ha-ha. But what's the rationale behind you saying that? Because you have the, the Gary Tobbs camp. of uh, I love Gary Tobbs. Uh, he spoke at my anti-aging work, and, and his book was just an amazing work of art, his first book there about uh, good calories, bad calories. So there's that side of things, which is the seesaw story. And then there's these other guys who are like, look, I can lock you in a chamber and measure every breath you take, and clearly every calorie that comes in and calories that go out. So how do you, how do you bring those two camps and put them together? Because a lot of people are confused by this. I'm glad you're asking this question. I actually, I, I respect both camps, and I actually don't see um, Gary Tobbs as the seesaw guy. I see him as the hormone camp, and I see the yeah. other guys as the calorie camp. And here's how I break <laughs> this down. Uh, to me, it, for him, it's all about insulin. And yeah. then, so. Uh, these other guys, it's all about calories. And, and here, to me, there's two things required to lose weight. You absolutely require a calorie deficit. You also require hormonal balance. So to me, both are true. But here's the problem. When you go after a calories-first approach, <laughs> it actually 
causes an unbalanced hormonal metabolism. Yes. So people are coming at it from the wrong way, in my personal opinion. Now, there certainly are those people who are numbers crunchers, and it does work. They are, in my opinion, in my clinical experience, in the minority. And so here's the thing. Yes, calories matter. Yes, hormones matter. They both matter. It's not one or the other. And you can count calories, which makes it you know, sort of alluring. People like that. Oh, I can count these macros, and I can count these calories. Mm-hmm. And they think we can't count hormones, but in a sense, we can count hormones because hormones impact things like cravings. They impact hunger. They impact energy. So there's what I call hunger, energy, and cravings, or HEC, a fun acronym, HEC, right? If your HEC is in check, you know that your metabolism is balanced. You know your hormones are balanced. So the goal is keep your HEC in check, and almost everybody who does that, who eats in a hormonally balanced way, quality of food, tons of vegetables, proteins, things like that, ends up in a caloric deficit only. So those people who say, hey, Dave, you know, this bulletproof coffee where you're adding in 500 calories, if you have 500 calories in the morning, let's say, and that keeps you from eating 800 calories later on at night because you had that 500 calories because you balanced your hormones with it, then you fixed this sort of seesaw equation. So to me, the seesaw is in the middle. It's not over here with Gary Tobbs and the, and the insulin people, and it's not over here with the calories either. It's both, and it sounds like you and I are talking about this in a way that uh, people start to understand. My seesaw is doing this when I put something in it. So if I have something like bulletproof coffee, and that balances my hormonal metabolism and makes me less likely to freebase cheesecake later on in the evening and get a, you know, into a 2,000-calorie deficit because of that, then that is a good choice for their metabolism. Well, it's interesting. In the Bulletproof Diet book, I, I write about hormones, including MSH, VIP, leptin, ghrelin, and uh, basically the, this whole pathway. Uh, and one of the ones that that's maybe not written about enough is called FIOF, a fasting-induced adiposity factor. And, and it's, it's an incredibly delicate and amazing and, and eminently hackable set of hormones you can change with nutritional input. And I also uh, believed in the very early days of my own work, especially when I was on Atkins and all that, oh, look, you eat more protein and you eat more fat, so therefore you have less calories. And after uh, Gary came and spoke at the Silicon Valley Health Institute, um, years ago, I was like, all right, I, I'm going to do this experiment. And I ate between 4,000 and 4,500 calories a day. And I stopped exercising and I'm like, I'll sleep five hours or less. I'm like, I'm going to get fat. I, I know I'm going to get fat. Right. And my deal was I wanted to eat enough calories to gain like 20 pounds and only gain three pounds and be like, you guys, you really think calories matter? What I just did cannot be. Right. What and I did, that's because your metabolism is adjusting constantly. Oh. But I want to hear this whole story. Exactly. The metabolism adjusts. But here's what I didn't expect. I felt so good on this program that I did it for two years. And I grew a six-pack. In fact, the only picture of a six-pack you'll find of me online, because I'm like I'm a dad. I used to weigh 300 pounds. I have stretch marks like a zebra. Uh, I'm married. I, you know, I just don't. I'm not that like take a photo of my abs, dude. Like that. That's not you know not how I roll. Whatever. But I, I was like, this is amazing. So I actually lost weight and and gained clarity and had uh, profound effects I didn't expect. And it was going, all right, shouldn't have been, but it was. And Bulletproof Coffee was a major part of what I did. And I was doing that in the morning with eight tablespoons of fat in it, which is 
An enormous amount. I, I think that was uh, almost a thousand to twelve hundred calories every morning just in my coffee, and then I would eat like giant loads of of food, tons of veggies and whatever. Uh, essentially, the bulletproof diet, and it shouldn't have been possible, but it was. And when I talk with you know the calorie guys, like, well, obviously you were pooping fat. I'm like, well, they didn't float. I, I don't know. Uh, but when I dug in on this. The third part of this, and this is very much in line with what you're saying, there's the calorie camp, the hormone camp, and there's the gut biome camp. And th- those nasty little bacteria in your gut, some of which are good, some of which aren't, they'll make you fat or not make you fat. And that, that what I was doing in some part of the bulletproof uh, intermittent fasting protocols was modulating the ratio of gut bacteria so that I actually got these strange benefits. So yes, sometimes it's cutting calories, but I do not to this day have a full explanation of why I was losing weight other than maybe I wasn't digesting some of the fat, even though I was taking betaine, HCL, and lipase to help me digest the fat. I, I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Yeah, well, I do have some ideas. Tell me. And of course, we don't really know, right? But I think it's a combination of things. I mean, essentially what is happening is you are upregulating your metabolic machinery, adrenal glands, thyroid, all that kind of stuff. You are you know, sort of... Uh, being uh, uniquely insulin sensitive, leptin sensitive, that's, <clears throat> that's something that everyone gets. But then what you're talking about is, um, and this is the thing that I think, uh, and I'm glad you brought this up because I think this is going to be potentially the holy grail of weight loss research. We know so little about it right now, but these little bugs, these little bacteria that are living in our gut that are almost acting like the friend that steals a French fry off your plate, except they're stealing you know, 10 and 20 of these French fries, even though you're eating them. And what's happening is it's what I call the law of metabolic efficiency. And these things are making your metabolism less efficient because they are using up the energy. And by what you were doing, you're drastically changing the populations of these bacteria to, <laughs> yes. make, them, to make them be more of these types that are using that fat for themselves. So, so they're using the energy. You're not pooping it all out, but you're also not absorbing it all. That's part of it. You're pooping some out, of course. They're using the energy for themselves, stealing the French fry off your plate. And you're also having these adjustments in leptin and adrenal and thyroid production, which is elevating your resting metabolic rate. And what happens is all of that together, that holistic and probably a a whole symphony of a, a whole bunch of other stuff that you and I will be talking about in five years is going on. So if you actually probably could go in the metabolism and measure in detail the exact calories you're burning up and how much heat is lost and all that kind of stuff, you probably would find of perhaps a lower calorie state, but it's not that that that. But I, but I was I was measuring like four thousand calories a day. It could just be that I upregulated to the point I was burning more than four thousand a day. Plus I was sleeping less, right? Which means what do you do when you're not sleeping? You burn more calories, right? So you know I was I'm sure I was moving, eating yeah. those that, that yeah. bacteria are taking some of the calories that you ate. You're you're losing some. So to me. We don't yet know the full story, but to me, I absolutely love that story because it's so it, it perfectly demonstrates how much we don't actually know about the metabolism and all these other pieces that nobody's talking about. So the idea to me and what you and I are talking about, I love this because it's like calories on one hand, insulin on the other hand, and it's really leptin, adrenal, thyroid, microbiome, liver physiology, and a whole bunch of other stuff and hormones that we don't even know about yet that are being manipulated through these changes. And here's the point that I I love about you, Dave, is that you're essentially, you know, the whole biohacking concept. What you're essentially doing is you're basically saying, listen, 
there's so much we don't know. Why don't we spend our time trying to figure out how our physiology functions and works and be our own experiment in a sense? That, to me, is where we should be pushing people. That's what we should be talking about. Jade, I, I have to disagree. We should actually spend all of our time online yelling at the guys who disagree with us and calling them poopyhead. That, that's generally what, what I, I prefer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great idea, Dave. <laughs> no, but I hear you. It's unfortunate that that's going on so much in our industry because, in a sense, we can learn from each other if we all stop shouting at each other. I mean, at least we can agree. I think we can agree. Any intelligent person can agree. There's so much we don't know. Let's stop arguing about the small percent that we do know, and let's all put our heads together and start figuring out um, the new stuff that's going to make a difference. One of the reasons I, I'm such a fan of, of the quantified self and, and this idea that we can get data, I was even CTO of the basis wristband company, the, the guys who can get your heart rate without a chest strap. And that whole point is that we've never really done very good experiments because it was too expensive and we didn't have a big enough sample size and they're always in you know, labs with white lab coats and whatever else. So the idea that you can get masses of data from potentially millions or even a billion people and then crunch the numbers using the cloud and big data, we haven't done that before. And I think we're going to learn more from that and things like the genetic sequencing of the gut biome. So I've got my U-biome results. I looked at several other people while writing the Bulletproof Diet book. I'm like, funny, there's a measurable shift that's actually also verified in animals in a lab study that happens when you mix coffee and certain kinds of fat. And when you do that, there's a shift in the biome. Like, wow, what else do we know about that shift? But how would we know that? Well, we could know it from animal studies, or we could basically ask a bunch of people who do this practice and say, huh, there's commonalities here. Like, isn't that amazing? And I, and I honestly think that's the way we're going to get to it, because yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. We have to, the research moves too slow and is structured in um, such a way that makes it very difficult for us to pull out the important information. So to me, I love seeing, you know, the microbiome project and all of this stuff that we're doing, that we're going to be able to get data far more quickly. And we're going to be able to understand how to interpret that data far better. So to me, it's one of the most exciting things that we can be doing. But we have to, I think the thing that uh, you and I are saying, and the listener I think needs to appreciate, is we must begin focusing, in my personal opinion, now of course not everyone has to agree with me, but on individualized metabolism. We understand, yes, we are all human, but this, this idea that all humans function the same is just absolutely wrong. Men function different than women. Each man and each woman is different. I would even go so far as to say, and I get a lot of flack for this, that we are as different metabolically on the inside as we are physically on the outside. And we really need to start understanding that. Yes, there's some general guidelines and rules that can be applied, but you must tweak that. So I call it structured flexibility. Yes, let's give a structure to the diet, some general rules, yeah. but then the individual must be able to um, adjust that. And it may be more vegan-based, vegetarian-based. It may be more meat-based. It may be more lean proteins. It may be fattier proteins. We need to understand how our body is responding to all these things. And the microbiome, the gut, those little bugs, that, that those bacterial products in our gut, is uh, that story, I think, is going to fill in a lot of the gaps. But we still need to realize we do not know everything and to your one of the things you say to me the worst of human traits by the way dave is the combination of ignorance and arrogance and to me it's okay to be ignorant right because there's just so much we don't know we don't know but once yep. you add arrogance on top of that 
you really uh, um, get into sort of my my definition of the worst human traits and you simply can't learn and things come to a grinding halt. So what I would ask people is to say, look, be ignorant. Fine. Stop the arrogance in the diet and weight loss and natural health world. And let's start sort of learning a different way. So so now I'm, I'm going to go out on a, a limb here and probably piss off a few people. But I, I've noticed that there are different sets of nutritional I'll call it philosophies. I mean, people aren't looking at what works for them, but that, that can lead to certain, I don't know if personality traits is the wrong word, but certain behaviors. Like, like if, if you're on a, a super high protein, super low fat diet beyond what your body wants, you have high ammonia levels and you tend to be pissed off all the time. <laughs> and, and if you're on a super low calorie, deficient in saturated fat diet, uh, you know, only eating omega-6 oils, you tend to be a little bit flighty and forgetful because you're basically in a state of starvation. And so your your behaviors change based on, in some part, what the gut biome is manufacturing for you out of what you ate, and in some part because your neurotransmitters and your hormones change themselves. So it's not just that, like, I got obs. It's more that actually I got abs and I got pissed off uh, or, you know, I, I like how I look, but I feel like crap. And if you ask, like, the Hollywood superstar types, um, how they feel when they look amazing, you know, running from explosions with their shirts off in movies. They're like, oh, yeah, I was dehydrated. I felt like crap. It took me a week to recover from that scene. Uh, but, man, I looked good. So, like, how do you draw the line between, like, feeling awesome and having your brain work all the time, which is really my goal, versus, like, looking good? And, and like, how much of an overlap is there there? You know, me personally, I don't like to make um, sort of generalizations to basically say everyone who eats low protein is going to be. I never said everyone. Tendencies. Tendencies. But but to me, I do think it's interesting. And here's where I think um, you and I will agree completely, I hope. To me, it's about the biofeedback signals your body's sending. So to me, we talked about the three big ones, hunger, energy, cravings. Well, sleep is a huge one. Mood is a huge one. Digestive function is you know another one and there are others right there are there are many others but to me those are the big ones and so mood you're talking about mood ultimately these things need to be optimized if you are looking great like you said you have you know um, a six-pack but you are you know feeling depressed feeling anxious having anger being uptight something is going wrong with your metabolism and to me that's that's what we need to be talking about instead of being like you know all these fancy hormones and all these names I would like people to understand, listen, when you're when you are feeling moody and crabby and you are having hunger and cravings constantly and your energy is uh, unstable and unpredictable and you're waking up at four o'clock at every single night wired and can't go back to sleep. That is telling you that your hormonal system, I don't care how much you know about the science of insulin and leptin and all these other things we want to talk about, that is telling you that your hormonal system is disrupted and out of balance. And that seesaw, even if you are in a calorie deficit and you're cutting calories way down, that metabolic seesaw is going to throw you off uh, with, with, uh, with certainty within the next couple of weeks. And this is why diets don't work. This is why 90% of people who go on diets end up gaining the weight back and and two-thirds end up fatter because they aren't understanding what you're talking about, that we must be eating, exercising, living in a way that is going to balance hormones, yes, but we don't know all there is to know about that. So if you focus on these biofeedback signals, people listening, they can be like, hey, Jay, Dave, I get it. I can 
I can, you know, pay attention to my mood and I know when that shifts and I can pay attention. Uh, you know, women, for instance, know what happens during the menstrual cycle. They can pay attention to that great biofeedback for them, hunger, energy, cravings, all these things tell us how our metabolism's functioning. And then if you want, in my opinion, then if you want, you can go back and say, oh, I feel great. Just out of curiosity, let me see how many calories I'm taking in. That to me would be a much better way of doing this. And you might discover, oh, wow, I'm only taking in a thousand calories and feeling great. Or in your case, like you talked about, I'm taking in 4,000 calories and feel great. And that will tell you more about your metabolic engine than any study, any biochemistry book, any guru that tells you do X, Y, Z, in my personal opinion. Paying attention to how you feel is, is core. And it's funny, I've often thought that women are far better biohackers than men, at least when it comes to just that bodily awareness because they're dealing constantly with, with a monthly cycle. So like, you know, most of the time by a certain age, like, oh, I know when I'm ovulating. I, I, I know I'm three days, I'm on day whatever. And all those things uh, mean that, that there's a, a little process running in the back of my mind. It's like, how am I doing right now? And a lot of guys, at least I never had that. And, and it's some guys just naturally do. But uh, it, it's interesting that, that that how am I feeling right now? And then to draw the to close the loop and say, wait a minute, like the quality of my sleep last night, if I even know what the quality was, or what I had for breakfast or what I ate before bed, like that these variables might matter. We're just kind of, as a society, realizing that these really matter. And, and for the most part, we weren't taught that when we were young, unless we had really unusual parents. Yeah. And, and the diet industry, diet and weight loss and, and natural health industry is not talking about it either, uh, in my personal opinion, or they're talking about it not enough. Guys like you and I are talking about it. We need to you know, continue pushing people in this direction. One thing I'll say about women, too, just in terms of hormonal balance, like you women who are listening, the ones who will say, well, Jay, Dave, I, I can never. It's all over the place for me. I would say that's a sign that your metabolism is out of balance when you can't predict. Once, once things start ticking and that seesaw yep. starts getting balanced, you start being able to more clearly see the rhythms of your physiology as well. And I think that's partly what happens with, uh, you know, with many people. They're so um, out of whack that they're, 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 they're bloated constantly. They're having gas and upset constantly. They think this is normal. They're having joint pain. They think that's normal. They think the mood swings is normal. They think all this stuff is normal. That's the signal that you are so out of balance. You're going to have to start to do something differently. Just cutting calories and eating you know, tons of broccoli is not going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll listen to yourself. And I, I go to great lengths to have... Uh, like I've had JJ and, and Dr. Sarah Gottfried and other women who are really paying attention to this on the show because too often, especially when you get into the exercise side of things, like like there's there's a lot of testosterone floating around. And, you know, it, it, it's not all about testosterone. So having both perspectives, but just the one that's like, how am I doing now? And even from a nutritional perspective, like the, the adrenal stress in women based on carbohydrate consumption is just fundamentally different than men. And if you, if you don't acknowledge that or at least test it, um, you won't find where you are. And, and we've had uh, like world champion uh, female athletes on the show who are so in ketosis. You're like, are you kidding me? Is, is that even possible to be <laughs> that in ketosis? And then others who are like completely broken by ketosis. So there's that individual variation there. And I'm, I, I kind of get bothered when I see someone categorically say it's true for everyone um, because... I don't think it's that way. And that's honestly, that's, that's what attracted me to chatting with you because you actually talk about new laws of metabolism. 
What are those new laws? Like just the way you spell them out. Yeah, I think the first one and most important one is the law of metabolic compensation, which essentially says, so law number one, the law of metabolic compensation basically tells you that the metabolism is not a calculator. That's, that's what the calorie counters basically say. It works like a calculator. It's only calories in, calories out. Now, there's the other side of the equation where these people say, no, 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 no. The metabolism works like a chemistry set. You have to worry about just hormones. To me, both of those models are wrong. What it really acts like is a seesaw or a thermostat because it's adaptive and reactive and constantly changing. So there is no chemical mix of hormones that you can put together in a test tube that's going to give you optimal health and fat loss, just like there's no you know, single amount of calories just because you know your basal metabolic rate is going to give you optimal health and fat loss. And once you understand that your metabolism works like a thermostat, that's this adaptive and reactive biofeedback system, and then you understand those inputs, you understand that the law of metabolic compensation is where you want to focus your attention. Let me give a real-world example for people who don't sort of understand this. Here's how the metabolism works. Let's say you take the old approach, right? So just to make it easy, let's just say you decide you're going, you have 2,000 calories. That's your basal metabolic rate. You go on a diet, so you know you want to cut your calories down by 500 calories uh, per day, right? What's going to happen, right? So now you're eating 1,500 calories when your basal metabolic rate is 2,000 calories. Well, what's going to happen in the beginning is you probably are going to lose some weight if you have a healthy metabolism. You're probably going to lose some weight in the beginning. What the metabolism then does is it causes compensations. It upregulates, and this all has to do with hormones, increases hunger, increases cravings for Big Macs and cheesecakes and things like that, starts making your energy unpredictable. But the other thing it does is it downregulates your metabolic engine. And this is where uh, the individual nature of the metabolism comes in because we know on average it will downregulate your metabolism by about 300 calories. But it can be much greater than that in some people, but in some people as much as 800 calories per day. So you started out in this caloric deficit, right, 2,000 to 1,500 calories. Well, let's say you and I, Dave, are, are two guys whose metabolism compensates a huge amount, and now it compensates up to 800 calorie reduction. Guess what? We're no longer in a calorie deficit anymore. And guess what else? Our hormonal system is all out of whack. So not only will we hit a weight loss plateau, right, we may actually start gaining weight. Now, what do most people do? Because they think the metabolism functions like a calculator or a chemistry set, they either cut carbs further or they cut calories further. What's the metabolism do? Oh, you might get some results for a little bit of time, but the metabolism is going to fight back against you tooth and nail. Hunger goes up again. Cravings go up again. Energy becomes unpredictable. Metabolic rate goes down again. Before you know it, we see people like you and I see all the time who are in under a thousand calories per day, running like hamsters on a treadmill and cannot lose weight. Why? All for one simple reason, because they either they have this wrong idea. They're either in the carbs or everything camp or the calories or everything camp, the chemistry set versus the calculator when the metabolism works like a seesaw law of metabolic compensation. The other law is the law of metabolic multitasking. And to me, this is huge. The law of metabolic multitasking essentially says the body does not like to be burning fat and building muscle at the same time. Unless you are on anabolic steroids or are a complete beginner to exercise, the body just doesn't like to do that. It either likes to be burning fat and muscle or building fat and muscle. And this is why we get the skinny fat look and the bulky you know, sort of look where you're basically gaining muscle under a layer of fat so it looks like you have basically a jacket on top of a sweater. 
Yes, skinny fat is a whole thing that that I think is rampant amongst, especially lean, younger people who eat absolute crap. Like, like they all have skinny fat, skinny fat, skinny fat. Like it's ridiculous. And that's that law of multitasking at work. The body doesn't like to do that, so we need to do things to you know that are a little bit smarter. Weight training being one of them. It's one of the reasons why a smart person who's working with people will have weight training as the dominant form of activity because it's one of the only things that when you're in you know, uh, a hormonal state that's trying to burn fat that makes you hold on to your muscle mass. And so those two are the most important laws. And then the, then the third one and the last one, or not the last one, but the third to the last one is what we talked about, the law of metabolic efficiency, which essentially says uh, there are certain things you can do eating fat because you may absorb more than I do. So you have a more inefficient metabolism. Yeah, you, you can you can train it, right? You can train it. So the metabolism isn't just, you know, the, a super efficient engine. No engine is. And the last one is the law of metabolic individuality, which is you and I have been talking about this, this entire podcast, which essentially says we are each different. We have to honor that. The only rule is do what works for you, which means you need tools, which you're wonderful at providing, not just helping people understand those things, but also giving people objective data to look at, which in my opinion is what we need. And so these are not, you know, laws that have been studied and, you know, all this, this is just my way of helping people understand. Here are some key understandings about the metabolism that when you really get what we're talking about, it changes the way you will approach diet and exercise and lifestyle forever because you're now working with the way the body actually works instead of against it. Yeah. It's kind of liberating when you finally get that right. Like, wow, like it, it wasn't hard. And a big part of what I've written about in the Bulletproof Diet is actually the notion of willpower because I struggled so much with this when I was obese. Where I'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do something that fundamentally goes against my biology. But I've been told by you know, diet and nutritious industry, oh, these are the things that are going to work. So then I do it and I get tired and I get cranky and frustrated. And I'm like, okay, it's because I'm not trying hard enough. So the next day I'm like, I'm going to try even harder. And you end up like getting into this weird guilt cycle where obviously it's because you're a failure. And what I finally realized is that I was burning out my willpower. It's, now we know it's finite. So I actually spent more time as the book unfolded looking at the notion of willpower and how nutrition itself can affect how much willpower you have and how the decisions you make at the dinner table or with your snacking totally change the quality of every decision you make, not just what you put in your mouth. And I, I was amazed at, at how I... I literally had more willpower when I did my stuff in a way, just like you're saying, that, that is in line with my biology versus opposed to it and believing it's in line. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. Not only that, what's really interesting about willpower is this idea that just like you said, the willpower, willpower is more like a battery. It can be drained, yeah. and it can be charged up. And so I think not only do we need to look at willpower in line with our physiology, but we have to look at willpower in line with our psychology and approach things in a way that helps us um, build habits around willpower. So here's an example. Here's, here's an analogy I like to use. It's not a fun analogy because I'm a dog, a dog lover. Or, but he, imagine a dog's attacking your forearm, right, and, and biting at your forearm. What most people will do is they will pull away from the dog, which what does what? Makes the dog attack you harder and faster and was probably going to do more damage. Now, if you had the wherewithal, probably the thing to do is shove your forearm down that dog's throat. The yeah. dog's going to let go and more likely to let go anyway, and um, you're going to have less damage. Well, with willpower, it's the same thing. So instead of being like, I'm not going to order dessert, 
I'm not ever going to order dessert. What if we said every time you go out to eat, you must order dessert and you must only have three bites of that dessert. In other words, every time you go out to eat, you have a willpower workout around dessert. You must get dessert. You must practice only having three bites. Now, the first time we do it, right, I'm going to eat the whole I'm going to eat the whole dessert. Uh, You know, um, maybe I start out by only ordering dessert when I have four friends around me. But in time, what begins to happen is dessert loses its psychological allure. And all of a sudden, now what is known in psychology research as the as if principle, I, Jay Tita, now see myself as a person who never finishes his dessert. And now I'm one of those people, right, that everyone admires. And it's like, how can how can he do that? How can he only have a taste of this or that? This is the way that I think we need to start looking at, just like you said, that's one part of it, eating in a way, doing things in a way that balance our physiology, but also working in a way that strengthens our psychology and has us see ourselves as different people rather than avoiding it. And there was an interesting study on they had uh, women carrying around chocolate containers. One group was told, use distraction techniques for the chocolate. Don't think about them, even though they're in your purse and you have them. The other group was told, take them out, interact with them, look at the chocolates, smell the chocolates whenever you had a craving, then put them back. Lo and behold, who do you think ate more of the chocolates? It was the group trying to distract themselves doing it the old way versus the group who was interacting with them and trying to train themselves and their psychology in a different way. So to me, um, this discussion about willpower is huge. You, you obviously know a lot more about it than me because I was never you know, 300 pounds, which to me is a monumental uh, sort of effort to do that. But um, certainly as my metabolism changed, you and I being 40 now, not our you know, young, egotistical 20-year-old male cells, uh, things change and you start realizing it's, you have to do it a little bit smarter. So that's another thing I would add for the listeners on willpower, both physiologically doing it in the right way and then doing it psychologically the right way as well, rather than the old worn out methods that don't work. It, it's interesting. I, I don't ever apply my willpower to not eating something. Uh, because when I do it right, <laughs> I'm like chuck. I'm like snacks. Like I don't. I, I honestly, I don't care about a snack. Like I ate like four hours ago. I don't need a snack. Yeah, I got another two hours to go before I even want food. But I guess if it's really high quality dark chocolate that won't cause a craving because it's full of casein and some other weird crap, I guess I'll eat it because I like it and it doesn't have a lot of carbs. I'll be fine. And like the mods on dessert, I I love whatever the cheesecake, but. That's probably more inflammatory than choosing this other dessert. So if you're going to have dessert, I'd be like, eat the whole thing, but choose the dessert that doesn't cause cravings and doesn't cause inflammation. And assuming there is one on the menu, that's the hard part. <laughs> and, and the point is, do what works for yeah. you. And I would say two things about hunger and cravings. You got the biochemical piece and then you got the behavioral piece. And the emotional piece, right? And the behavioral and emotional yeah. piece. So what you're and to me, what, what's happened is most people are struggling with both. biochemically, biochemical cravings and behavioral cravings. And and to your point, I've experienced the same thing. When you get the biochemistry right, oftentimes that's what many people, that's enough. Because it's almost just like, eh, I could take it or leave it. For the people who have both biochemical and behavioral issues, then they're going to want to take both approaches that we're talking about here and put them together to be more powerful. But I agree with you. You get the biochemistry right, oftentimes the behavioral stuff is you just don't need it as much. It's true. And now that brings us up to the next point. I already talked about it being four or six hours. I just don't care about food. (laughs) 
you know, there's a, some allure to selling a hundred calorie bar and you just need to eat one every two hours. Um, that, that's actually a, a beautiful business model. A bar that causes cravings and you can only solve them with another low calorie bar every two hours later. It's like a little like slot machine to, so, so I, I think that's kind of the nefarious perspective there. But is there a case in your experience to be made for eating you know, every two hours, six meals a day, eight meals a day kind of thing? Absolutely. I think there's, I think again, when it comes to eating frequency, there are those let hunger, energy, cravings, mood, all that stuff guide you. To me, when the metabolism is balanced, typically these are the people who can go till noon and not eat and feel fine and, and don't order the burger and fries, but instead get the salad with salmon. But for those just starting out, my personal experience tells me that uh, little small frequent meals often tend to do better. But here's uh, if you're leptin, if you're leptin resistant, your hormones are broken or something. Yeah, okay, I'd, I'd buy that. In some does places. what it does for these particular people too is it helps them. I think this is the hidden reason this works for many of my clients is that it helps them start to understand they can control things through food. But eventually, what's going to have to happen with them, I think, once they get to the more balanced hormonal state is the natural tendency will be to move to a less frequent eating pattern. Yeah. So they might look at people like you and me, like I typically, I'll go till noon, you know, and I'm not because I'm trying to do intermittent fasting or anything like that. I just let my hunger, energy, and cravings guide <laughs> yeah. me. It's not like I'm like, oh, I read on the internet I should do intermittent fasting. It's just that I don't, I'm not really hungry or craving anything until around noon. And I also know that when I get my workouts in two or three, it doesn't impact me. So I'm letting these things guide me, right? I do see sometimes when I get dysfunctional sleep or I get stressed, sometimes I'll snack a little bit more within that. So I've just learned to read my metabolism. Yeah. But one thing I don't like is the idea that, hey, you should be intermittent fasting and everyone should be doing that, or you should be eating um, you know, small frequent meals, everyone should be doing that. To me, it's like, again, we go back to this idea, do what works for you. Most importantly, learn what works for you. People just starting out who in my 300 pound, 400 pound clients I've worked with, not all of them, but typically most of them do better in my personal clinical experience, which is just my experience. Many will have others do better with small, frequent meals. And then what I try to do is once they start to learn and start balancing their metabolism, then I begin to move them to a less uh, frequent eating pattern. But of course, you and I know it can go all, all over the place. Some people go right into intermittent fasting and do great. There was a time, usually people with monstrous adrenal glands, uh, when, there was a time when I was fat. Uh, I wasn't even 300 pounds. I was probably only like, you know, 250, 260. I, I would end meetings at 1145. I'm like, you know, getting to be, uh, you know, a, a reasonable level of executive for the first time in my career. I'm like, it's 1145, meeting's over. And, and like, why? I'm like, because I'm going to have to kill you and eat your arm if I don't get something now. Like, I can't even think. Like, I'm out of here. And I literally just pick up my crap and walk out the door with 10 people in the room. Uh, and... It was true that I, I couldn't focus and I was physically getting angry because my hormones were so broken. And I'd go downstairs and be like, I want two chicken breasts. What, you're going to give me one? Like, you know, like, like I'll, I'll kill you for your chicken breast. And, and literally, like I had hormonal stuff that was causing that. And to go from that state where it was like, I will, I, I must eat or I'm going to fall apart to like, just like a sense of freedom there, it was a process, no doubt about it. And and it, it doesn't work for some people, especially like say if they're really overweight, to just not do this unless whatever they're consuming means that suddenly they don't care. And there are tricks, some of the bulletproof diet stuff where you're like, oh wow, I got there. Or like your guy, the the slim gym and hot dog diet. 
Uh, you know, like, hey, if it worked, all right, it worked. Uh, there might be some longer term cancer issues, you know, if that's what you do for 10 years. But if you do it for a couple of months and it, it turns something back on, hey, like, that's cool. <laughs> but Dave, I love the way you're, you're saying that because I think it's so critical. The process, the journey, I think most people don't understand that. I remember you know, sort of I've run the gamut with all this stuff, right? I mean, it's it's really been, you know, a journey. I know it has been for you as well. But what happens is along the way, um, it sounds like you and I have gotten to the same oh, place yeah. where, where we were probably rule followers and we got to do it this way and we got to do it that way. And, you know, some of I'm, our, our knowledge, we know there's just some foods that are going to be better than others for the vast majority of people. I mean, if you can eat jelly beans and, you know, have optimal biochem labs and hunger energy and craving to lose fat, then fine. But I think that's yeah. almost impossible. Yeah. But the journey is what matters. People need to understand yeah. this is a process. And you have to sort of understand that on the process to nutritional enlightenment or weight loss enlightenment or metabolic enlightenment, that all of these things can be useful so long as you are losing your bias and your rules and these hard and fast ways of doing things and, and staying in these nutrition camps and arguing about stuff that may be keeping you sick and unhealthy when trying something different, doing things in a different way, understanding your metabolism can free you from this. And I think you and I have both had that experience. Uh, we, we have indeed. And we also have the experience of coming up on, on the end of the amount of time we have for the podcast, which means that there are two questions left. And one of them is an easy one and one of them is the fun one. So let's do the fun one first. All right, I'll do my best. All right. Uh, it's okay. Uh, every other guest has answered this one and it's kind of the hallmark of the Bulletproof Radio. And it's given all the stuff you know, not just about nutrition, although you can toss that if you want, but just as a human being who's, who's achieved something in life. The three most important recommendations for people who want to perform better at life, not at whatever their job or their sport or whatever it is, although toss that in if you want. Three most important things of all, what are they? I would think the first one is, is take more action. To me, here's the thing. I feel like us humans are inherently lazy and inherently fearful. And so to me, if we can be a little less lazy and a little less fearful, you win. What most people do is they're always waiting for the right time. They're always waiting for the right circumstance. So to me, I'm one of these guys that it's not ready, you know, fire or ready, aim, fire. It's fire, aim, ready. You know, so it's and then it's aim, 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 aim. To me, that's how you begin this process. That's how you become, you know, the uh, enlightened version of yourself. That's how you make uh, big things happen. So that's the first thing. The other two are to me, and I'll say it this way, to me, the hardest thing in the world is knowing who you are. And what's harder than that is being that person. So to me, <laughs> to me, those are my next two, that ultimately you spend your time sort of knowing who you are, getting out of the matrix, uh, all the considerations that, you know, uh, society is telling you, you should do this, you should do that, you should, this is a respectable job, this isn't a respectable job, this is the way to eat, this isn't the way to eat. Really understand who you are. And then the third piece is be that person every single day. And guess what? You're going to mess up, and sometimes you're not going to like what you're doing, but you get back up and you have that sort of resilience factor. So to me, those are the three things that, at least in my life, um, that have really made the biggest difference. Uh, and it took me a while to sort of understand those. Well, well thank, thank you for that. I always love hearing people's answers because I, I truly never know what, what I'm going to get. I was probably hoping that you were just going to jump up and go snap into a Slim Jim. 
but you didn't, so. <laughs> now, uh, Jay, the other question is, is a pretty simple one, but it's one I'm sure a lot of people want to know. How can they get a hold of you? Give the people listening your website. We put all these on the Bulletproof uh, on the Bulletproof podcast show notes. These will be on the blog and all, but also just people driving want to put in their cell phone now. Well, hopefully sometime later, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave, thank you for doing that. That's so very generous of you to do that. So anyone who wants to kind of see more of my work, you can go to metabolicaffect.com and um, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jade Tita. And you can check out our book, The Metabolic Effect uh, Diet. And um, seriously, thanks for being so generous with that. It's, uh, it's really, really appreciated. Uh, Jay, the, the podcast is here not to sell coffee, although I appreciate it if you do want to buy, buy some Bulletproof coffee. It is damn good coffee. <laughs> Thank you. It, it, it's here to, to share information. Uh, and, and literally, it doesn't even have to agree with me as long as it's good information coming from the right place um, that's going to help people. Um, that, that's why the show's here. And, and that's why it's not, you know, sponsored by this and that. And I don't have 20 minutes of, uh, you know, me ranting about the latest product because uh, that's not its function. In fact, something that's just worth sharing, we are just crossing about 8 million downloads for the show, which is ridiculous. It's awesome and amazing. But if you look at the number of hours in a human life and you take 8 million divided by the number of hours people are awake, um, if, if this show is a waste of time, I've like murdered like 50 people or something. So I, I would feel really bad about that. So I, I really like like you're on the show because you have something to offer. And, and I appreciate that. It's it's you know, it's why why I put so much energy into this. That said, if this show was helpful for you, please uh, do one simple thing. Go to iTunes and leave a review. Tell people that it's worth listening to. This really helps people find the show, and it helps it to stay number one in the health category on iTunes, uh, at least where it is much of the time. And I'm grateful for that, and uh, it, it's here to help. So thank you. Dave, thanks for your work, and uh, thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. One of the things I don't talk about too much on the podcast is Bulletproof Upgraded Way. Whey is great for detoxing. It is not meant to be a primary protein source. If you're going to use whey, use the very best way you can get. That's upgraded whey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.